I remember when George Shin franchised and established the Charlotte Hornets basketball team. You see, I was a sixth grader at Blowing Rock Elementary School, and I was super excited that we finally had gotten a local NBA team. This expansion team was comprised of the likes of Tyrone Muggsy Bogues, of Del Curry, Kelly Trapuca, and even Rex Chapman. And did you know that the very first public scrimmage that they ever did took place right here in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State University at Varsity Gymnasium? I remember because I was there with my father and the rest of Boone as we gathered to watch them with excitement to watch them play. After watching the game, we quickly rushed out the door and gathered outside near the bus, hoping that we would get the opportunity to see some of the players as they came out after the game was over. So my father and I waited there patiently for a long time and had gotten a great spot near the front, actually, and I waited patiently hoping to see Rex Chapman. He was my favorite player on this team. Unfortunately, after we waited a long time, Rex Chapman never came out. In fact, he and Kelly Trapuca had exited the back entrance of the gym to be picked up later. But while we were there, we had the opportunity to meet some of them. In fact, I got to meet the owner, George Shin, as well as Muggsy Bogues and Clifford Lutz and Robert Reed. And I was wearing this shirt that I had on at the time, and it was a shirt of Rex Chapman. And I got George Shin to sign it, and on the back of it, I got a couple of other signatures from Muggsy Bogues and Robert Reed and Clifford Lutz. I remember it. I was super excited because these guys were professional basketball players. They were celebrities in their own right. And everyone here was excited to see them and had crowded together to see them in person. Now, I was very proud of my shirt, and I wore it around to school all the time, and I showed off the autographs that I had gotten, and I even told everyone that I was in class with that I was taller than Muggsy Bogues, even as a sixth grader. Have you ever met a celebrity in person before? Have you waited patiently in a crowd just to get a glimpse of them so that you could see them in person? You see, there are people who will go great length just to see or even meet their favorite celebrity. There's this sense of awe that comes with interacting with someone who's famous. As we wrap up our Stewardship Sermon series today, we come to a passage of Scripture that many of us are all too familiar with. If you've ever grown up in church, you've probably learned the children's song about Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree the Lord he wanted to see. Zacchaeus had gotten word that Jesus was passing through his city of Jericho, and apparently everyone else had gotten that same word too because they had gathered there on the streets to see him as he was passing by. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus has entered into Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and he's traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover, and he will enter into Jerusalem riding on a colt to the praises of many Jews who expect him to become Israel's new king. Jesus is now in the final moments of his earthly ministry, and up to this point he's garnered a lot of attention, and he's attained really what we would call a celebrity status. People from all over of Israel have heard of his many miracles, how he healed a crippled woman and ten lepers, how he drove out a demon from a young boy and even raised Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from the dead. 
They have heard how he fed 5,000 people in one day with five loaves of bread and two fish. How he calmed a raging storm by commanding it simply to stop. The celebrity Jesus is now in Jericho with his disciples, and everyone has come to see him. They've heard with their own ears what he's done, but they want to see with their own eyes who he is. And I'm sure that there were sick folks there who hoped that Jesus would heal them. I'm sure there were poor folks there who hoped that Jesus would help them. And I'm sure there were regular folks there who hoped to see him just perform a miracle. Yet in the midst of all the people, there was one person there who was not welcomed by the crowd. You know him as Zacchaeus. Not only was this man vertically challenged, but he was also considered to be short in his integrity. Luke tells us, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, implying that he was over a group of men who assisted him in his collection of the Roman-imposed taxes. Now, although Jewish by birth, he was considered to be a traitor of his own people for working with the Roman authorities who demanded that the Jewish citizens pay whatever Rome required for the tax. Not only did Zacchaeus enforce the Roman tax, he also imposed his own handling fees under the protection of Rome, adding insult to injury. Everyone knew what he was doing and knew that it was violating God's law, but there was absolutely nothing they could do about it because he worked for the enemy. Fighting back would only run the risk of losing one's property or their business, maybe imprisonment, or even worse, being sold into slavery. You see, Zacchaeus might have been a small man, but he wielded a big fist when tax season rolled around. This is how he made his money, becoming wealthy at the hands of the poor. But on this particular day, the crowds had the upper hand. No one budged to let Zacchaeus through to seat Jesus, and they stood their ground. And so Zacchaeus had no choice but to get creative. He ran ahead of the crowd and climbed a fig tree in order just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus in the first place? Why would one who had everything desire to see someone who had nothing? Why would one who neglected the law of God desire to see the one who upheld it to the fullest? Why would this crafty businessman put himself in an embarrassing situation, running in front of the crowds, which was considered a social faux pas, and having to climb a tree which only exaggerated his short stature? Had he heard how Jesus had called Matthew, a tax collector, to be his disciple? Was there a sense of emptiness he still felt despite all of his great wealth? Was he desperate to meet someone who knew absolutely nothing about him, one who wouldn't have preconceived thoughts or notions about him? Was he struggling with an inner sense of guilt with what he had been doing The truth is, we do not know exactly what motivated him to such action. 
Luke simply tells us that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Little did he know that he would get that opportunity. Luke says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Although Jesus was passing through, he intentionally pursued Zacchaeus, calling him by name and inviting himself over to his home. The one who went out of his way to see Jesus was acknowledged by Jesus and commanded to enter into his fellowship. In fact, Jesus told him to open up his house so that they could spend some time together. Now, I have to be honest with you. I I think if I were there that day with the crowds, I would be just as upset as they were. They couldn't believe what Jesus was doing. Of all the people that Jesus could have spoken to, he chose to speak to one of the most vilest, most wicked, and least respected men in Jericho. I'm sure the crowds sensed rejection and wondered why would Jesus affirm a sinner like Zacchaeus? You see, spending time with someone, especially table fellowship, was more than being friendly with others. In the Jewish culture, it was a sign of approval and of acceptance. How could Jesus approve of or accept a legalized thief? If Jesus was truly Israel's king, the Messiah, then shouldn't he administer justice and condemn Zacchaeus for what he's been doing to the poor? But this isn't what Jesus does. In fact, Luke doesn't share any words of affirmation or of condemnation for what Zacchaeus has been doing from Jesus. But make no mistake about it. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Remember, he came to the tree and he called him by name, even though he had never met him before. It was no accident It was no moment of irony that Jesus encountered him, for he sought him out. Surely knew, surely Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had desired to see him too, to see who he was. And Jesus made sure that Zacchaeus had the opportunity to truly see him as he is. We really don't know what happened what was said, or what took place in that house that day. But what we do know is that something changed dramatically in Zacchaeus. He tells Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The man who had made his living from taking more than he should completely altered his lifestyle right there in the presence of Jesus. The one who ignored the law of God for his own gain decided to make restitution by following God's law in Exodus 22 verse 1, which tells us, Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. The wealthy one was willing to become poor because he had encountered salvation and amazing grace in Jesus Christ. For the first time, he had been welcomed when no one else would acknowledge him. 
For the first time, he had not been judged despite daily hearing the callous judgments of everyone in Jericho. The one who was a a callous observer, even casual in what he did, decided to change and to become a faithful disciple of Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus saw God on that day. The love of God who accepts us as we are, but refuses to leave us that way. For in the midst of Christ's love and presence, Zacchaeus is compelled not only to respond with his lips that Jesus is Lord, but also with his life, giving back to those whom he's wronged. In gratitude for Christ's unconditional love towards him, he is willing to act so that Jesus knows that he is truly thankful that he has come to be with him. St. John declares in John chapter 1, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Zacchaeus encounters God in Jesus Christ and in doing so he repents. He turns away from the life that has held him hostage, the life of rebellion against God, and he embraces a new life of self-giving. He is thankful that God would and could and chose to love him despite all of his failures, that God would come into his own neighborhood and make his home there with him. Thus Jesus declares, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew means clean or innocent. And yet we know that Zacchaeus doesn't live into that name, does he? For he is anything but clean or innocent. Yet when he encounters the living God in Jesus Christ, he encounters the one whose name means he saves. You see, Jesus is willing and able to make any unclean person clean again. Jesus is willing to make any guilty person innocent again. And that's exactly what transpires in Zacchaeus' home. You see, today, as God's people, we acknowledge and affirm that Jesus has also come to make his home with us too. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we recognize that while we may not be thieves who have taken advantage of the poor, that all of us are guilty as charged when it comes to our sinfulness before a holy God. Our sins may seem small in comparison to others, but all sin misses the mark of living faithfully as God has called us to. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. While we stand condemned in our sin, Jesus freely justifies us through his amazing love and grace. 
Zacchaeus is declared a son of Abraham, not because he was literally born a Jew, but because Abraham had faith in God and was justified by his faith and trust in God. In the same way, Zacchaeus' faith in Jesus led him to respond with gratitude to do what is right. Friends, over the last two weeks, we've read and reflected on the importance of being thankful people of being a church who recognizes God's gift of one another, a church who recognizes God's provision for our lives in many different and various ways. And today we are reminded that we are a church who is blessed by God's unconditional, amazing love and grace that seeks us out, that calls us by name, that comes to our home and accepts us as we are and longs to transform our hearts and our lives. Like Zacchaeus, we don't deserve it, but God freely gives it to us anyway. And he calls us by name to respond to how we see Jesus and we see God's face in him. You see, it's not enough to be a casual observer of Jesus. We're called to be his disciples, to follow him wherever he calls us. This means that in faith, we confess his lordship in our lives And by faith, we respond in obedience and giving of ourselves to God and to those whom God has placed in our lives. It means that we are called to respond with all of who we are, giving our time to serve the least, giving our talents to serve the church and to spread the good news of Christ's kingdom, and to give of our resources to bear witness to the ongoing love of Jesus Christ through our mission efforts inside and outside the church. Yes, we are truly thankful people. We are called to respond in tangible ways that not only affirm Christ as Lord with our lips, but even more so with our lives. You see, if you've experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, God challenges you today to respond in gratitude, to give in ways that you are able to continue to share in his unconditional love that meets us where we are and calls us into his life, eternal life, here and now. It's not just about giving money to a church budget. It's about responding faithfully to the one who has blessed us in so many unexpected and undeserved ways. You see, so often we can go to great lengths to show our dedication and commitment to our favorite sports team or to our alma maters or to whatever it is that we love. But how do we and how can we show our gratitude to the one who created us, to the one who has redeemed us by his precious blood and who sustains us each and every day? You see, friends, it is my prayer that you will reflect on this and respond with thanksgiving in ways that are appropriate, showing your gratitude and your commitment to the God who left the glories of heaven to meet you face to face, to redeem you, and to hold you in his gracious care for all of eternity. Friends, this is good news. This is something that we should be unduly grateful for. And we are called to respond, to respond in gratitude in the ways in which we give of ourselves, showing God our thankfulness and our love. Friends, may we do so both this day 
and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.